Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, over the course of uh, this series that we've been in for the last few weeks, we've been uh, trying to get an idea of what it looks like to have faith in God. Based in the examples, the stories we are given across Scripture, uh, as opposed, and, and wanting that to be our definition, as opposed to uh, taking our definition from uh, just the way the word faith might get thrown around in our world today. And over the past few weeks, uh, as a part of this series, we've been zoomed in on the life of Abraham and Sarah, as uh, they've followed the calling of God, as they've trusted in the promises that he has made to them. Uh, Two weeks ago, we were in Genesis 12. Last week, we were in Genesis 21. And over that time, we've seen Abraham and Sarah follow uh, the calling of God, even though they were old, even though they had no children, even though they had to wait 25 years for the promises of God to even begin to be fulfilled. And we saw all of that come to a culmination in the passage we looked at last week in Genesis 21. Uh, where Isaac, this, this son that God had promised to them, to Abraham and Sarah, was born. And we saw the joy and the laughter that came along with the birth of, of this son of promise, this one who, was, who God had said would come, who would be the, the next generation, would continue on this covenant that God had established uh, with Abraham. And the faith we have seen Abraham and Sarah display is not one that is, that is just kind of vague or unrelated to the day-to-day of life. It is one that is foundational, a faith that is the lens through which this couple views the rest of existence. And if we could imagine reading through the story of Abraham and Sarah, we've never heard, we have no background, nothing, we're reading it for the very first time, we might think that chapter 21 that we looked at last week would be the, the culmination of the story. When God first appeared to Abraham, he, he promised him that he would have uh, numerous descendants. And now in their old age, Abraham 100, Sarah 90, they've given birth to this son that was promised as the first sign of God's promises being fulfilled. And so we might think that that's the, that's the high point. That's what this has all been building towards. Now we can roll the credits and be done. And yet the passage we looked at last week is not uh, the, the ending we might have hoped for. The second half of Genesis 21 deals with with Ishmael, the, the other son Abraham had that, that, was, that uh, he had with his servant girl Hagar. Ishmael and his mother Hagar are cast out of the camp at the end of Genesis 21. They're sent away, and if that were not painful enough, as we turn from 21, chapter 21 to chapter 22, we see God putting before Abraham a, a test unlike anything he has ever experienced. It's a story that we might look at as, as strange, as, as one that raises lots of questions about who God is and what he demands of his people. But I, I think that if we come to this passage with the perspective that we have tried to maintain throughout this series of, of wanting to see what true faith in God looks like, Genesis 22 has a lot to tell us about how God calls us to trust in him first and foremost. And that trust shows itself here even in the face of death. Because faith, a true, deep faith, as Scripture talks about it, is grounded in who God is. And that sort of faith will sometimes look strange to the world around us. 
That certainly is the case as we open up Genesis 22, and I want to emphasize that to to make sure we don't lose sight of that truth simply because we've maybe heard this story before. From a purely human perspective, the actions of Abraham in this chapter border on the insane, and yet Hebrews 11 holds this story up as one of the clearest examples of faith in God we find anywhere in Scripture. Living as people who truly trust first and foremost in God will look strange to a watching world that does not always share that same conviction. And this is in no way an example parallel with what we're about to read in Genesis 22, but as one small example of that, when I was preparing to move here to this church, I had multiple people ask me why I would ever want to live in Minnesota. I remember one person from Missouri saying to me, it's cold and they talk funny, which is just... I don't believe that for the most part. I, I'm just relaying a mess. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> but as small of an example as that might be, as strange as an outside observer might have viewed me deciding to move to southeast Minnesota, from the perspective of trusting in God, it made sense. And I feel pretty confident that it's worked out pretty well so far, at least until I told you that I think you talk funny. It's worked out to this point. But... It's that contrast between something making sense in light of the calling of God, but seeming strange to a watching world that is at the heart of Genesis 22, as we see Abraham's faith in God being tested and ultimately being strengthened on the other side. So I want to read the first couple verses of this chapter, Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Like I've already said this morning, this text can be unsettling, cause us to ask questions, and, and yet the text itself doesn't raise those questions doesn't seem to beat around the bush right out of the gate it tells us god tested abraham which might make us uncomfortable and and for good reason if we don't understand what is being said there when we think of testing typically in our world we think of trying to prove whether or not you know something the state doesn't know whether or not you can be trusted to operate a motor vehicle so they give you a driver's test so that you can prove that you know how to drive on the road a teacher doesn't know if, if their students have internalized all the lessons that they have covered, and so they give a test to gauge how well they, their students know the material. And that's not what the Bible has in mind when it talks about God testing his people. God testing Abraham here does not mean God doesn't know what kind of faith Abraham has, and so he needs to find out. Across Scripture as a whole, this language of testing is used to describe God's people going through trials with the goal being that they would be brought to a place where they understand God, trust in Him more deeply than they did before. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. The summer after I graduated college, I helped coach, I was the first base coach for my little cousin's coach pitch baseball team, which was a riveting way to spend a summer, let me tell you. But I was the, the first base coach, and basically my entire job consisted of making sure that when the kid at, uh, who was batting hit the ball, they ran in the right direction to me, that they stopped when they got to first base, 
and then that they knew that when the next player hit the ball that they had to run to second base. That was the entire job, and, and it kept me busy, let me tell you. And so what I discovered over the course of that, that summer, over the course of those games, was, was, that, was that I needed to uh, engage with the kids a little more than just, than just giving them orders. So what I would typically do is I would squat down. I would try to get down on eye level with them. I'm not going to act it out here because I don't know if I'd get up. But uh, I would get down on eye level with them and, and ask them and, and say, okay, so when, when the next batter hits the ball, what are you going to do? And then they would hopefully usually tell me that they were going to run to second base. I didn't ask that question because I didn't know the answer. I didn't come to them because I was lost and needed help from a five-year-old about what needed to happen next. I asked the question. We might say that I tested them because I wanted them to engage with what was happening around them in a way that, that, was, that was deeper, that was more engaging than just me simply giving them an order of what they had to do. And something similar is taking place when we start reading Genesis 22. God is not in the dark about whether or not Abraham has faith. There has been plenty of evidence over the last 10 chapters of the book of Genesis that show that Abraham has faith in God. But God is calling Abraham deeper, inviting him to engage with a faith that is more real than it has ever been before, inviting him to a place where he is truly dependent upon God and God alone not dependent on himself, not dependent on the fact that he now has a son, Isaac, the son that God had promised, but a place where he is truly, fully dependent upon God and God alone. And in order to get Abraham to that place, God calls Abraham to be willing to give up everything, even Isaac. And, and notice, if you, if you still have your Bible open in front of you, how things get more and more specific there in verses 1 and 2. Abraham is told, take your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, just in case you've missed anything, and offer him as a burnt offering to God. There's no other option. There's no plan B. Ishmael's gone. He was sent away in chapter 21. Isaac is the only one, the son who was promised. If God's going to fulfill his promise he has made to Abraham, to make his family into a great nation and to bless all the nations of the world through Abraham's descendants, it has to happen through Isaac. And now God is asking for Abraham, God is asking for Isaac back. Which seems to contradict everything that has been that has happened, everything God has said up until up to this point in the story. God asks for Isaac back, and with that, asks for all the promises he has made, all the hopes and dreams of Abraham and Sarah, takes it all and puts it into jeopardy. And I know at this point that a lot of you are familiar with this story already. You know how it ends, and maybe you think I'm overplaying it a little bit, and maybe I am. But, but since we're coming to this story asking the question of what it looks like to have faith in God, I want us to sit in that request of God a little bit longer than we might if we were just sitting with a Bible and a cup of coffee reading this story. Abraham has based his entire life on trusting in the promises of God. And they're big promises. God has promised, I will give you numerous descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And now God asks for that one descendant who is to be the means to, to all the other descendants. He asks for that one back. From a purely human perspective, this makes no sense. But faith leads Abraham in a different direction 
let's see how the story continues. I'll read verses 3 to 8 for us. It says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, imagine having to gauge how much wood you were going to need to burn your son, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. and He himself carried the, the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. As crazy as this might seem from a human perspective, when Abraham receives the call of God, he obeys. We're not told of any protesting, arguing, bargaining between Abraham and God here in these verses. He does what God commands. He gets up early, begins making preparations. The last time the book of Genesis told us about Abraham getting up early for something was in chapter 21 when he gets up early to make preparations to send away Ishmael and Hagar, which draws our mind to think of these two stories together. Just in the last chapter, the last story, the last chapter was Abraham losing one son, and now it looks like he's going to lose the other one as well. It's a long process, stretching over three days of preparing and traveling to the place God had called him to go to. Abraham cuts the wood himself. He saddles the donkeys, checking to make sure he has all the materials he's going to need to sacrifice his pride and joy. The rope to bind him, the flint to start the fire, the knife. Abraham surely has a lot of time to think through what is going on in, this, in these moments to wonder about whether or not God is good. How, how could a good God demand this? How is this going to work out? Have these decades where I've been following the leadership of this God been for nothing? Is God going to leave me an old man with no heirs at all, just as I had feared? But despite whatever questions might be rattling around in his head, he continues to move forward. He gets all the preparations made, all the wood cut, and they set out. And after three days of traveling, they get to the mountain for the offering. And notice what Abraham says to the servants who are traveling with him there in verse 5. He says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. We will worship. We will come back to you. Plural, but both times. We are both going, we are both going to worship, we are both coming back. Genesis 22 doesn't really explain, it, explain much there for us, but Hebrews gives us a little bit more commentary. In Hebrews eleven nineteen, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. 
Abraham has far from a complete picture of all that is going on in this story, but we should not misunderstand what is going on and think that his faith means he is just blindly following whatever God says, assumes it's all going to work out one way or another. In the midst of whatever questions Abraham might have at this moment, he is confident God has not changed. Confident that at the end of the day, God will prove himself faithful even if that faith requires believing God is more powerful than death itself. And that is Abraham's conviction as they make their trek up this mountain. We don't really know how old Isaac is. Apparently he's old enough to carry all the wood for this burnt offering and he's old enough to be able to do the math and ask the question of what is actually going to be put on the altar and offered up to God. And again, we don't get an inner monologue from Abraham, but we see his resolve, his confidence that God will provide. At this point, it seems like Abraham has far more questions than answers, but the answer he does have is that God will provide, and that answer is enough, even in the midst of all these questions. And that answer is sufficient for our questions as well. This text asks, Abraham asks us, if we want God or if we want the things God has said he will give us. Wanting what God will give us says that we will put our faith in him as long as he heals me, as long as he heals my loved one. Wanting God says that no matter what life might throw at us, having him is enough. Wanting what God will give us says I'll put my faith in God as long as my business is doing well. Wanting God says every day is a gift and an opportunity to respond to the grace he's extended. And I will do that in everything I do no matter what the immediate payoff might be. Wanting what God will give us says, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do what God asks as long as, as long as I get what I want. Wanting what God will give us always comes with strings attached. I'll show up for church, I'll volunteer, I'll give, I'll do X, Y, or Z as long as I get what I want. Wanting God begins and ends with the faith of this passage, the faith that God will provide even if that seems uncertain or unlikely. And that is the faith God is calling Abraham into in this passage. It is the faith our God invites us into as we walk with him. And we see how that resolves in the rest of this story. I'll read verses 9 to 18 for us. It says, When they reached, when Abraham and Isaac reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. 
Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through, all, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. If you remember back to the beginning of this story, God calls out to Abraham. He responds with, here I am. And here, right as he's about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord calls out. Abraham responds in the same way, here I am. At the beginning of this story and at its, its climax, its high point, Abraham responds with faith. Abraham's passed the test. His faith has passed through the fire, has come out on the other side, purified in a way that it never has been before. Abraham has experienced the provision of God in a way that he never has before because he trusted first and foremost in God, not in what God said he would do. And although that path was not easy or certain, it led to provision and blessing unlike anything he had experienced before. Through all the questions, the unsettling aspects of this story, that's the reward waiting at the end for Abraham. Faith in God, even faith in the face of death, is rewarded with an experience and confirmation of the faithfulness, the goodness of God, and all people who might also put their faith in God can experience the same thing. We too can know of God's faithfulness towards us. That is what is waiting for those who put their faith in God, not just faith in what God might do for us. To only trust in God because of the things He's promised to give us, to only put our faith in God when things are going well for us, it stops far too short. Faith in God offers us far more than life going well for us in the present. He is offering us life with Him, life that we were created for, life that can steady and strengthen us even in the face of potentially losing everything, even in the face of death itself. That's the faith we see here in Abraham. That's the faith God calls us to. Not obedience in exchange for good things that God has promised us, but a life of faith that responds to the fact that God is who He says He is, and tests, trials we might experience in this life are opportunities to draw us into a deeper dependence on Him. And nothing short of complete dependence on God will ever provide for us in the way He has promised us to. He has promised to. That's the invitation of faith. That's the invitation of life with our God. And that's the faith that the book of Hebrews invites us into. The point of, of this story, the point of Genesis 22, in its original context and when it is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, is not that we would be impressed by Abraham, but that we would see who God is through this story and experience life with that same God for ourselves. Because the God who provided for Abraham also provides for us. We see that in Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19. It says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Faith trusts that having God is enough. If you notice there in verse 17, it says, Abraham had embraced the promises. Abraham believed in the promises God had made to him, not because of the promises themselves, but because of the God who had revealed himself to him. His faith in that God then made it possible for him to be obedient, even when obedience looked like it was in complete contradiction to the promises God had made. 
Abraham's experience of the faithfulness of God to that point in his life made him confident that no matter what might come, no matter how any specific event turned out, the faithfulness of God to that point was enough evidence to know that he would be faithful in the future. No matter the the specifics of what we might go through from moment to moment, at the end of any trials, testing we might experience, the end can be deeper faith, deeper trust, deeper knowledge of who God is. That's what awaits the end of this story. This isn't about how great a person Abraham was. It's about the fact that God offers us himself. And when he does that, that is enough. Even when we don't see how all of his promises are going to work out in the short term. That is what faith looks like. Faith is a trust in who God is, not in what we can get from him. Because who God is in himself is better than anything we might ever receive from him. If we were to have all the wealth and stuff and success and praise that we could ever want and we did not have God himself, we would be lacking. But if we have God and never get the wealth, the stuff, the success, the praise that this world tells us we have to have in order for our life to matter, if we never get any of that but have God, we have what we need. Faith in God is enough. Because God can be trusted even in the face of death. Now, in saying all of that, I'm, I'm sure it might sound like I'm asking for a lot. I mean, can we really trust in a God who does things like what he does in Genesis 22? What if he demands that or something similar to it of me? What if things don't go the way that I want? What makes me think that I can stand up here and say that God can be trusted even in the face of death? Well, the reason I'm willing to say that is because God provides another way in this passage. There's a ram caught in the bush. And Abraham offers that instead of his son, Isaac. But there would be another son who was promised. Another son who was referred to as the only begotten, the one and only son. And that son would also go up a mountain and would carry on his back the wood that was intended to be the means of his death. And that son would get to the top of the mountain to the place of the offering. Only this time there was no ram caught in a thicket. And that is why we can have faith in the face of death. In Romans eight thirty one and 32, Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God himself has gone farther than he asked Abraham to go by actually giving his son so that we might be saved from sin and death and into life with God. And Jesus was not delivered from death. He was delivered through death into the tomb and out the other side into resurrection so that we might be delivered from and through death as well. And that is why we put our faith in him. If he was willing to go that far for us, then surely he will not let go of us, no matter what else we might go through. He is the God who can be trusted even in the face of of death, so trust in him so that you might experience life with him, life that he's inviting us into. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you can be trusted. We thank you that you're good even in the face of death. 
that we can look to your son, your one and only, your only begotten son who died on the cross for us, was raised to new life, and know that you will provide. So we ask that you meet us here this morning, God, for those of us who need to experience your presence, your provision, even right now, Father, would you meet us where we are so that we might walk forward with you. No matter what highs or lows we have gone through this week, Father, we ask that you would be near. Give us faith to trust in you, to know you're good, and know that you'll provide wherever you lead. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French. Thank you.